0: We have been quite uh, some time in the book of Philippians, and today we will be in uh, chapter 3 of Philippians. Uh, It is a long passage. I promise I will not go in detail of everything. Uh, But I do want us to understand the big picture of this chapter. Um, We've been talking a lot about Paul. We've been talking about his ministry. We've been talking about his life. But before I go there, I just want to share a story That ties into what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I was visiting a family uh, that came from Canada on Sunita's side, her relatives. And I was watching uh, this show on TV, America's Got Talent. Has anybody seen that show before? Okay. Big fans in the house? No? Okay. All right. And, And I was really impressed. I was really impressed by the performance of these two individuals uh, they uh, managed to do a, a head balancing act. Okay, now I'm probably not going to do very good I might trip on my steps here. Okay, but I'm going to try to try to imitate it for you a little bit. Okay, so so these two brothers have been working really hard, dedicating their whole life to making it to the big stage. And so they decide to do the performance. Okay, one of them is hanging upside down on the other person's head. Okay, so just imagine the guy balancing his buddy on top of his head with no holding. Okay, no ropes, no nets. And they proceed, okay, to balance each other out about five to six steps down. Okay, it's about six feet high. The crowd clenching, waiting for that moment to see if they will fall, right? And then later on, they decide, you know what? We're going to up this. We're going to make this more amazing, more awesome. There's about 10 to 15-foot ladder that's right in front of them. And then the guy proceeds to just climb up the ladder with the guy on top of him, balancing out. And again, the crowd is waiting in anticipation. And it took a while. Like I probably would have gotten a headache okay, uh, standing upside down for that whole time. But they managed to perform the act to perfection. There was not one mistake. It went according to their plan. And upon completing the performance, the crowd went crazy. The judges were in awe and shock how this was possible. Okay, it just looked like an impossible act. And here we have two individuals who have dedicated their whole life, their whole time to perfecting it. Now, I'm sure they probably fell a lot of times during their performances, okay, in preparation for, the, for this big act. And here they're performing in the biggest stage, wanting to make it to the biggest stage in America They were asked, hey, what do you guys want to do? I mean, why are you here? What's your goal? What is your main goal? And here's what they said. We want to be able to perform in Las Vegas. We want to have our show one day. Now, that's a big goal. That's a big dream for a lot of us. And for those of you that have seen the show, there's thousands of performers over the seasons that the show has been on TV, but only a few make it to the end. What's my point? All of us have goals and dreams and aspirations. But what is your goal in life? Is your goal pursuing after fame? Is your goal pursuing after wealth or status? In the case of these two brothers, is your goal achieving your dreams, aspirations, or making history? Now, I do want to put a disclaimer there. There's nothing wrong with reaching your goals and fulfilling your dreams. We should all desire to live a life to the fullest with no regrets. But the question is this. What motivates you to reaching that goal? Is it personal motive or is it spiritual motive? Are these goals, these dreams more important than that of Christ? And as we look at the chapter today in Philippians 3, we'll learn that Paul's goals were very, very different. Now, the goals that we have, our personal goals and dreams, they need to be less important than our relationship with Jesus. Paul said this about himself, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, in his ministry, Paul was not pursuing earthly things, temporary things, but heavenly things. His focus and goal was not in his societal accomplishments and his status, though he had a big one, but in spreading the good news of the gospel, the message that he was called to take out to the nations. His joy was not found in his circumstances, as we talked about, you know, in his suffering and persecutions and imprisonments, but was found in the Lord. And he had his eyes fixed on eternity. See, earlier in the letter, Paul explained to the Christian believers how they should respond to suffering. He was the primary example and said, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. As Christ suffered... And gave his life. And as I've suffered and I'm giving my life to serving him, we should do the same. Last time when we met, we looked at the godly examples of Paul and Timothy and, and their service to God and to people and the church. Epaphroditus was also one of them doesn't get a lot of good rap. I mean, a lot of times he gets forgotten, but, but there's people of high status and people who are just simple folks that are serving the Lord, and they're serving with the same goal. Today's topic of our sermon will be finding joy in the Lord, finding joy in the Lord. And as we talk about this from beginning of chapter one, we see this brings us to our first point on the, bullet, on the bulletin. We see that Paul is continuing this theme of rejoicing. Okay, we've said that rejoice is a theme that's repeated over and over and over again. Why is Paul repeating this theme? Didn't we get it the first time, the second time, third time? Paul wants the audience, the readers, those who are listening, to not forget where they should look for joy. See, first, got to find joy in the work of Christ. And Paul is going to spend the next part of the chapter talking about how we need to focus on what Christ has done for us, his work in our lives, and not our own work in our own lives. Paul begins with a phrase that we're all too familiar with, right? Turn with with me in your Bibles, chapter 3, verse verse 1. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Says, rejoice in the Lord. Now, Paul didn't mind writing and repeating the things in the letter time and time again. Even in the letter, he says, "Listen, to write the same things to you is no, no trouble to me." Paul understands the importance of repetition. We need to be, ra- be reminded time and time again, so we're not forgetting how we need to live as Christians. And he tells the the, the Philippians, "Listen, I can go on and on. I can tell you more. I can repeat the same information." because it will be beneficial to you. It will protect you in the long run. And in verse 1, he writes, Finally, brethren. Now, this word, finally, indicates that Paul is bringing the letter to an end. But like any other good preacher, finally does not mean necessarily finally, right? So, if you hear me say finally today, we're not leaving yet, okay? Just bear with me for a few more minutes, okay? Okay? But just like any preacher, it doesn't mean that he's done with the thoughts. He's he's not done with the letters. As we see, he's going to go on for another couple of chapters. But he continues on a little longer because he needs to address all the issues that the church was going through. Paul calls upon the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord. In the context of what he's shared prior, in chapter 1 and 2, he's talked about suffering. He's talked about persecution. Persecution. For the sake of christ and and he's going to continue that theme with that in mind see brothers and sisters you know that we all need joy in our lives and we need to be reminded often especially when things are not going well we look at the world today we look at the direction of our country and which is going and there's plenty of things to worry about the economy inflation the housing market social issues political corruption lawlessness in the street, violence. I mean, to mention a few, these things can easily take our joy away if our focus is nearsighted, if our focus is on them. If we focus on what's happening in the secular world, we will be discouraged. That's why Paul is saying rejoice in who? In the Lord. Not in your circumstances. Not in what's going on around you. We must realize that Paul is teaching everyone, not just the Philippians, but also as believers today, that our true joy is based on Christ alone. It's based on what we're going to receive in the future. Now, why did Paul urge the Philippians time and time again to rejoice? I'll give you a couple of reasons. Because first, he knew that joy in the Lord would help them overcome the challenges that they were facing. For us Christians, joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. It shows that we are part of God's family. Galatians tells us that joy, okay, comes from the Lord. It shows that we are in fellowship with God, the Spirit. That He lives in us. Also, by rejoicing in the Lord, we can avoid the sin of grumbling, grumbling complaining, worrying, anything else that may take that joy away. That's why Paul, in chapter 2, earlier in chapter 2, he says, he urged the the Philippians, says, Do all things without what? Without grumbling and complaining. Thus showing yourself to the world that you're children of God. See, grumbling and complaining, brothers and sisters, have no place in the life of a born-again believer. It should not be a routine in our personal life. The Philippians were to be an example to the world. They were to be a light to the world. The way that we live, the way that we behave, okay, shows the world who we are and how we're different. So being joyful in the Lord, even in difficult circumstances, is necessary. It's a must. But also, third reason, it draws people to Jesus. People are going to look at you and say, what is so different about this Christian, about this individual? They're going through all these challenges, difficulties, this loss, and yet they have joy in their lives. You know, and many of you probably know this, and I I listen to some stories, different stories around the world, missionaries, uh, Voice of the Martyrs. Um, I get a lot of their stories on email just of people who are happy and joyful despite being persecuted. Here in the States, we have a great life. We have great experience. We get freedoms that other people don't have around the world, and yet they are experiencing more joy in the Lord. By being joyful in the Lord, we can tell others about Jesus. But first, we need to demonstrate it. And that's what Paul was telling the Philippians. You got to rejoice because the world is watching. Is your life marked by joy? And what is your joy? Is it in your accomplishments? Is it in your status? Is it in your family or job? Now, those are legit. Those are important things to put our joy and excitement in. For are they more important to you than the Lord, the relationship that you have with the Holy Spirit? See, because of the relationship that we have with Jesus and with God himself, no matter what comes our way, these things, the troubles of the world, cannot take our joy. That's why Paul wants to continue to serve Christ even when he knows his life is coming to an end now in the second as he continues the chapter we move on to chapter verse two chapter three verse two now paul shifts from this idea of joy to now warning okay he's going to spend the rest of the chapter warning the philippians about these false teachers here's what he says beware of the dogs beware of the evil workers beware of the false circumcision these guys are religious people they're not your unbeliever friends Or people of the world. They're actually professed to be Christian believers. And Paul is using some very, very harsh words in describing this group. This group of false teachers was causing trouble and division within the church. The descriptions that Paul mentions in this text were often used for false teachers and prophets. In the Old Testament, the dogs were the false shepherds of the nation of Israel. And the prophets who failed to feed the flock and to protect the flock from their, from their enemies and from harm. Now, in Paul's time, most of the false teachers were Jews who tried to teach that new converts, new believers in Christianity, they needed to be circumcised in order to receive salvation. So, this was the challenge, this was the group that Paul faced in the early church. The Judaizers, okay? People pronounce it differently. But this group of people, Paul says, they're evil workers, they're dogs. Beware of them. They're wolf in sheep's clothing. They are destroying you from within. The Judaizers were a religious group faction who insisted that Gentiles needed to be circumcised. They were focused a lot more on works and obeying the law of Moses. And they were forcing Gentiles, you got to do this in order to be saved. Do we have a lot of modern day Judaizers today? People who are adding more work for you to become saved. Now, we read of this group in Acts 15. Just just mark your bulletin there. Just write Acts 15. You can go back and read that chapter later on here. Luke writes about these people. And here's what he says. Some men came from Judea. That's where they get their name. And they began to teach the brethren, the Christians, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And Paul and Barnabas did not hold to such view, so there was opposition that started within the church, opposition among the Judaizers, the Pharisees, and so Peter and Paul now they have to hold a council, okay, the Jerusalem Council. For many of you, are probably familiar, there was this council in Jerusalem that addressed this very topic, this very issue: What are we going to do with the Gentiles? If they join God's family, uh, uh, do they have to go through all these rituals, all these customs that we as Jewish people have to go through? And Peter and Paul, they concluded that there was no distinction among Jews and Gentiles, that we are one in Christ. In Acts chapter 15, verse 11, just write that verse down. Peter says, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. See, it's the work of Christ." That saves us. is not what we do physically that saves us. The Judaizers wanted to focus more on the works. And not on the grace of God. Later on in verse 8 and 9. In chapter 15 of Acts. Peter says God has purified their hearts. Referring to the Gentiles. God has purified their hearts. So, once given warning to the believers in the church, then Paul is going to describe who the real circumcision is. Who are the true believers? Is it those who are following the Mosaic law? Those who are following the rigorous laws of the Pharisees? Or is it those who put their faith and trust in Jesus? And here's what he's going to say. We are the circumcision, the real circumcision. Referring to the Gentile believers. Those of us who are spiritually born again, who have become a new creation in Christ, according to Galatians, we are the true circumcision. We who worship in the Spirit of God, that's another criteria. We who glory not in self, not we doing physically to earn our salvation, but we who glory in the work of Christ and what He has done for us on the cross. Another criteria those who belong to the true circumcision, Paul says, are the ones that have no confidence in the flesh, okay, no confidence in what they do physically, but confidence in the work of Christ. And here Paul and Peter says that circumcision is of the heart. It's not a physical act, it's a spiritual act. And for many of us Gentiles, as well as born-again Jewish believers, God has circumcised our heart he has changed our hearts but this was the issue that was facing the church back then today we have churches we have religions that are putting this this base work system for people to earn salvation the Catholic faith says you got to do certain things in order to be saved you got to participate In certain physical acts, and you have to be baptized, and all these other things that are works of men and not works of God. See, Paul, as he looked at his life, he experienced joy in knowing that he was saved, not because of his earthly accomplishments, but because of the work of Christ on the cross and because of his grace. He says this to to the Galatians, chapter 2, verse 16. Write that down real quick for me. Galatians 2, 16. A man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? Not works of the law. Not what the Judaizers were saying to the Gentiles. He says, but by through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, listen to this now, he says, by the works of the law, No flesh is justified. Physical works will not save us, will not put us in the right relationship with God. That's what the word justification is, being in a right relationship with Christ. And Paul says, works works are not going to cut it. Works are not going to be the answer. It's faith in the work of Christ, what he has done. We all have to believe and put our faith In Christ alone. And Paul taught through this passage. That there is no spiritual advantage. For those who do the physical act of circumcision. That's why he calls the Judaizers. He calls them mutilators of the flesh. If it was such a great act. He would not refer to them in a negative way. For those who belong to God's family. He said circumcision is a spiritual one. Is a spiritual act that all of us experience when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. As we continue on, Paul is also, as, as, as he talks about uh, this work of Christ, he says, you know what, circumcision in the flesh is not going to do it. Now, confidence, he's going to talk about his confidence versus the Judaizers' confidence, because their confidence is in two different locations, two different places. Here's what he says, Paul provides a couple more contrasts between himself and his religious groups. In comparison, Paul had more to boast about. He had more confidence than these guys did. He was the most moral and religious man of his time in the first century. Now, if anyone could have earned heaven, if I was to look at people in the Bible and say, wow, this guy is close to perfection. This guy is close to perfection. This person, by far. Paul would probably be the person. If anyone could have earned Heaven on merit and through human effort, it would have been Paul. Yet, notice what Paul says in verse 3 through 6 of our text today, chapter 13 of Philip, excuse me, chapter 3 of Philippians. He provides here a list of things that he has accomplished. His resume. And, and this thing really blows my mind because we see here why Paul earlier in the chapter talked about being humble. We look at this list and we can say, wow, Paul, I mean, you're, you're accomplished. You're, you're above everybody else. You're an elite. But yet earlier in the chapter, he says, show humility. Take on the attitude of Christ. And here Paul says, listen, I have plenty of confidence in what I've done, but I'm not going to put my confidence in that. Notice what he says. He was from a true Jewish family. He was circumcised on the eighth day. Now, that's a true Jew right there, okay? There were some Jewish people that were actually circumcised later on. He was from the nation of Israel. He was full-blooded Israelite. From the tribe of Benjamin. You can trace his lineage all the way to the tribe of Benjamin. Most likely, he got the name from the first king, King Saul. Do you remember? He was Hebrew of the Hebrews. Part of an elite class, a Pharisee. Zealous in the law. I mean, the guy, you look at him, he's like, man, nobody can stand next to this man. And yet Paul says, I'm not putting my confidence in this. I'm going to put my confidence in the work of Christ, not on what I've achieved on my own. That's the same attitude that we need to have. And notice what Paul says, the phrase, notice what he says, so that I can be found in him. Not be found in in my own accomplishments, in my own achievements, but be found in him. I want to be found in Christ, not in what I have done in the past. It's important for us to understand that our true joy is not not in ourselves and what we have done. It's not in our resume. It's not in our title and our job. It's in our relationship with Christ and what he has done see Paul found righteousness in Christ though he obeyed the law think about it as a Pharisee he represented the best of the best and the brightest of Israel he kept the law rigorously I mean he thought he was doing the right thing and started persecuting the church because he thought he was serving God in doing so and when he says you know hey I was close to being perfect when he came to the law I was blameless now, that doesn't mean he was perfect, that he never sinned, because he tells us on later on, if it, wasn't, if it wasn't for the law, I would not have known that I was a sinner. So he knows that the law reveals sin, but he was saying, listen, I followed everything to the T. And in comparing himself to the Judaizers, he said, they put their confidence in the works of the flesh, but I'm putting my confidence in the work of Christ, in his righteousness, in his justification. See, Paul desired the righteousness that comes from Christ and not the one that comes from obeying the Mosaic law. We are made righteous by putting our faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross and His resurrection. Excuse me, Robert Gromachie said this, In Christ, a believing sinner achieves a justified standing. Let me say that again. In Christ, a believing sinner achieves a justified standing. It does not matter what you have done in the flesh. It is the work of Christ that justifies you, that purifies you, that circumcises your heart. This brings us to point number two. Finding joy in Christ's calling. Jesus called Paul to the ministry in a very unique way. For those of you that are familiar with this story, he's heading to Damascus. Again, as a Pharisee, He's got orders to go, chase, and find Christians and put them in prison. In the process, he was blinded by a great light as he was headed to persecute Christians. Later in the chapter, Jesus speaks to Ananias, a believer, and says to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument. I'm calling this guy as an instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. Notice, Paul's mission was to the Gentiles, it was to the kings, it was also to the sons of Israel. It was to both groups. And here's what he says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Acts chapter 9, 15 to 16. See, Paul's conversion gave him a new purpose in life. And his works system was done away with. His life was drastically changed and his earthly status really was diminished. Okay, Paul did not go back to being a Pharisee, did not go back and and tell everybody, this is my resume, look at it, I'm well achieved, well accomplished, hire me for this job. That's not what he did. He did not count any of that. In the scriptures he tells us, he basically considered all that garbage. The word that's actually used in the text so we're done, okay? So we're not going to try to explain that. But listen, he's saying basically all that stuff that I just did prior to becoming a Christian, it's all garbage to me. It means nothing. Is that the same view that we have on our own accomplishments? Earthly accomplishments, the things of the flesh? Now, I'm not saying all the things that we do are nothing or garbage. But, but here Paul is looking at things that are more important. Heavenly things, eternal things. And that's where our mind needs to be. Paul tells us that had, the things he had gained were of no value and, and considered them worthless, a loss. His view had changed. His perspective had changed for the work of Christ. And he became righteous by putting his faith in Christ. And from that moment on, his ultimate goal, notice what he tells us. His ultimate goal is found in verse 10. Turn with your Bible with me to verse 10, chapter 3, verse 10. "...that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His Spirit being conformed to His death." This is the ultimate goal, okay, which is actually split up in some minor goals, okay? So, Paul is finding joy in what Christ has called him to do. And that calling involves certain things, goals that he wants to achieve. And he says, I want to know Christ more. I want to know the power of His resurrection. And I also want to suffer with him. Paul had been a follower of Christ for many years, as many of us know. His ministry was over 30 years. And yet here he's saying, I want to know Christ more. I'm not there yet. I have not arrived. There's more. He knew that such goal would take his entire life. And thus he continued to focus on his Christian walk in the days that he had left on this earth. He says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me. God's calling. God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Go to the next slide, Steve, real quick. Just so we can break down some of these goals. You don't have to write them down, but just kind of review them. These were Paul's goals, okay? We can kind of summarize this into one ultimate goal. To be more like Christ. That is the ultimate price. He wanted to be more like Christ. At the end of his life, his ambition was to point people to Christ. Not just knowing in their head, but experiencing Christ in our lives. He wants to know his word. He wants to know what the fellowship of suffering is like. He says, I press on toward the goal. And here Paul uses an image. Okay, being in Rome, okay, you have the games. Okay, the gladiator games that are uh, famous. And he's using an image of an athlete who is running the race. And this imagery of this athlete, okay, he's running forward. And he's forgetting what's behind. Now, if you're an athlete, okay, and we we probably do have a lot of athletes in the room, okay, I was an athlete back in the day. Uh, I retired a long time ago, by the way, okay? Uh, I played soccer and basketball when I was young. And I know that, you know, as you're running forward, you you, you take a look back, it's going to slow your pace. It's going to slow you down. That's why a lot of times runners, sprinters, okay, coach tells them, don't look behind because that split second can cost you the race. And you see the Olympics. Okay, I love the Olympics, especially the 100-meter the 100 100 meter run. You know, we see these guys as fast. Okay, they're, they're beating records left and right. They got, their, they got their vision focused on the end line. They're not looking around to see who's behind me, who's on my shoulder. They're focused ahead. And that's what Paul says. I am focusing to the ultimate prize. I'm not looking back at my mistakes. I'm not looking back at my past. I want to reach the ultimate prize, which is Christ himself. Is that your desire and goal? Now notice as we finish up the goals that Paul gives the Philippians. You can go to the next slide, Steve. He says, now have the same attitude as that of mine. Have the same attitude when it comes to living your life here on this earth. Focus on the ultimate prize. Find joy in the Lord Wait for that eternal prize that's waiting for you at the end and keep pursuing it. Keep living godly lives in pursuit of that ultimate prize, which is eternal life, part of it. But it's actually Christ Jesus. The ultimate prize is being in fellowship, in a relationship with Jesus for eternity. Now, that's what we have to look forward to. In verse 15 and 16 Paul brings a challenge to the Philippian believers. And notice what he says. Let us therefore as many as are perfect have this attitude. What attitude? The attitude that he just talked about. And if anything you have and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. Verse 16. However, Let us keep living by the same standard which we have attained. The same standard that God has given us. We need to live by those standards in this world and not deviate to the right or to the left, but stay focused on the ultimate price. Finding joy in the work of Christ and the calling of Christ will lead us to receiving the ultimate price. Christ Jesus. You know, if you're here with us and you're thinking about this journey, this Christian life, and what it's all about, come talk to any of our elders, pastors. We'd be glad to show you how you can make a decision, this life-changing decision today. Don't wait on tomorrow. Don't put it off. Today is the day of salvation.